Okay, well, good morning. It's morning. It's uh, Thursday, the 11th of August. And uh, joining me for this bonus episode of Forever Bristol City Podcast, where have I heard that term used before? Bonus episode uh, is, is Ian. Neil, I see you've entered the studio. I thought you might have been working at this late last minute. So if you do want to join, we're not going to talk in too much detail about the game because other than the goals... We've not seen uh, a great deal, but we'll talk about the selection conundrum that that sets uh, Nigel for the weekend, or does it? And uh, we'll just talk a little bit more about the thoughts of um, um, Steve Lansdowne on the sale of the club, what our thoughts are on that, or the club, or part of it. So there we go. Morning, Ian. How are you today? I'm good, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, so a bit unusual not to be able to watch a game in any shape or form. I mean, we've all seen the goals, but uh, unexpected win last night. What are, your, what are your thoughts? Well, I think if, if you look at the fact that 13 championship sides have gone out, yeah. it shows you how the competition's been treated. And that's not to say it's necessarily been disrespected, because, um, but I thought it was interesting. An interesting dynamic was the way that the two managers set up last night. I think Robin's idea was to start with a weakened team, then bring on some better players to win it. But that went horribly wrong in the first 30 minutes. And the, the game, the game to an extent, was injured. So if you look at the players they had on the bench, they're star players, I'll call them, like Hamer, Goikerez. Um, they didn't get on the pitch. So he obviously thought the game was gone. Now, he did make three good substitutions in the second half. And for some strange reason, and this is the other, uh, where, go, going back to what I said about how the manager set up, Pearson set up strong. That was a much stronger team than I thought he'd put out for that game. So we made five changes. Uh, they made eight from their first game of the season at Sunderland. And, and both <clears throat> is, is, an awful, is an awful lot of changes for, for any side, especially eight. Um, well, eight I five, thought that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, eight for them, five for us. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think um, so. So the thinking of the managers, Pearson got it right, and Robbins got it wrong. If that's what he was trying to do, um, but if you look at the fact thirteen championship sides went out, uh, and I know some championship sides played each other, like Birmingham and Norwich, um, but it, it shows that. Really, until you start getting towards the quarterfinals, no one's really going to put their strongest team out. And I think it would be the same if we draw a, a Premier League club, should we beat Wickham and get through in the third round. Um, so it, it's an opportunity to get away from the pressure of the league. Um, Pearson mentioned last night that... Um, the league is the most important. He emphasised that before the game and he emphasised it in his interview afterwards. I completely agree with him. But it, it's there's no such thing as a bad win and there's no such thing as a bad 4-1 win. Lots of positives. No. Wells got two assists. Conway got two goals. Unusual, um, very unusual assist for Han Noah Masengo. It was good. Yeah, I've seen that goal and that was a good, that was a good piece of play leading up to that, wasn't it? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and and Senga was playing a little bit higher up the pitch than he normally does because Andy King was playing as the guy that shields the defence. Now that might be a position we could see him with his experience. We could see him in later on because I don't think we're going to see Matty James for probably four or five weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so 
if we, you know, we've, but the squad before last night was being dis- described as depleted mm. uh, in some quarters. And, and these, I'm talking about the media. I'm not talking about people posting on forums. Um, so, yeah, good, good win. Good first half. The worry for me is that we keep falling away in the second half of games. It was the same last season. I think I, I read a stat that somebody had uh, tweeted out somewhere that last season, if you took first halves only, we were in the top 10. And if you took second halves, we were in the bottom three. Uh, so this, this isn't something that's new, but all three games we've played this season, the same things happened. We've done well in the first half for about 35 minutes. Then we fall yeah. away for the next 25, 30 minutes. And that's what killed us against Sunderland. Yeah. Is that fitness, Ian? Is it fitness? I don't, well, it, it, the answer is I can't see what else it can be. Because if it was ability, you wouldn't have the ability in the first half either, would you? No. Um, so all it can be is tiredness. Now, whether that's mental tiredness um, or some kind of stamina issue or um, fatigue, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Oh, I, in fact, I don't know. Um, but it'd be very interesting to look at. And I'm sure with the number of analysis we've got, that that's one of the areas they should be looking at. Why do we keep blowing up and I'm saying keep because it's not the first three games no. this season alone it's last season mm. why do we keep blowing up and that could lead into a conversation about all these late goals we were conceding it at yeah. one time that yeah. wasn't so bad towards the end of last season but we we've started again at this and it's it's an odd thing I don't know it, it could be tactical it could be somebody saying to him right you know you're a goal up drop back or try and play on the break but you you still got to be able to re- retain possession a little bit to play on the break. Yeah, so, I mean if you look if you look, if you look at the fact if if you look at the fact that uh, Vyman got that fourth goal that was quite critical because clearly Coventry had got themselves back into the game at three one and we had that cushion of a three goal lead. But if Vyman's goal had, had, had actually been a Coventry goal, you you wouldn't have bet against us conceding that three-goal lead based on what you've said. But it didn't happen like that, obviously. And Vyman, three and three. I mean, he's carried on where he left off last season, hasn't he, Ian? Yeah, I mean, God knows what we what we do without him, let's put it that way. And last night, he played a, a different role. He played deeper. So he, it was more of a 4-1-4-2 um, four, four, uh, last night. So you had King sitting in front of... Sorry, 3-1... Three, three, Four two. You had King sitting in front of the defence, and you had Vyman playing as a third midfielder um, with King Masengo and um, who else? I just said King Masengo and Vyman. So yeah, it, it was a different from our normal three four one two, which you know I hope we go back to it, Wigan. I think there'll be at least five changes possibly six for that game and the conundrum that he's got is um does he start wells next to martin who will bring back uh, yeah that business start? about bringing martin back i mean i saw saw pearson's interview after the game and the the 
interview, it was a lot more intelligent his questioning than some of the Muppet questions that were being asked at the press conference, which was oh, yeah, that's you know, taciturn response, if that's the right word, from uh, our manager. But he's, the, the interviewer said, yeah, you must be pleased. Conway got two goals. And he said, yes, he did. Now I'm really pleased for him. But he ran out of puff a bit in the second half. I think yeah. that comment is unnecessary. It might be true, but you never hear him say that about Chris Martin, who runs out of puff in the second half of every bloody game, doesn't he? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, Tommy Conway, will he keep his will he keep his place? Well, actually, I think he probably deserves it after two goals, and you can change it. You know, we do have five substitutions. Why not give the lad, you know, why not give the lad a run out against against Wigan to start the game? Yeah, what well, you don't think that's going to happen? Hundred percent not going to happen. I think the team, and I'll I'll, I'll give you the team now, and I, I can do it really quickly in a. In a three-four-one-two, uh, it will be the same back four as last night, including the keeper, uh, Masengo Williams in midfield, Sykes right wing back, De Silva left wing back, Vyman at ten, Wells and Martin up front. I don't think it would be much different from that. So, so Wells in the starting lineup. So who's because he didn't start the weekend. So who's Wells? What's it? So who's coming? Who's who's not making it? Um, well, Tom, the, Tommy Con, Tommy Conway. Uh, yeah. Don't start now, Alec. But Alex well, Wells didn't start. Wells didn't start at the weekend, yeah. So no, but Alec, Alex Scott played ten. Oh, so Alex Scott, yeah, of course, yeah. So you're saying, same player like that with Wells and Martin Vyman in just behind. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, let me say that's what I think Nigel Pearson would do. I'd be tempted to give Alex Scott a game in central midfield, uh, possibly next to next to Joe Williams, if Callas was fit. Uh, I think what we may may have had to do, if he was fit, and he, I understand, but when I say fit, I mean available for the first team. That's that's when I clash you as being fit. Um, yeah. I think it would be um, interesting to see him in midfield with either Scott or or Williams if Callas could come in because because closer and Callas could could come in for. Viner and Naismith in the back three, and I think that'd be a a really good back three. Uh, and and because we haven't, you know, if we haven't got a defensive midfield player, we haven't got one. Uh, Mark Mark Small on here has just said Sykes Sykes in midfield. Yeah, you could you could do that. I I it's the funny thing is I think all of them are better in a three man midfield. So the sort of midfield you see in a three five two, as opposed to what we do, the conundrum. Is that front three was what kept us up last season? You know, not only did they score all the goals, pretty much they created them as well. Yeah, they created uh, over half. They created twenty nine out of the fifty. They got yeah. between them. Yeah. yeah so, mm. so, so, and I think when Semenyo comes back, uh, you know, Semenyo has to play. If he's fit, he has to play. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's your front three. But what's wrong is is. The, the midfield bit, particularly the defensive aspect, is behind it. I was really impressed with Cam Pring last night, and I think everybody else yeah, was. As I well. mean, I he, think, but is he? He's but not he's a good boy I mean, off of Pearson. Uh, Cam Pring, Cam Pring offers the speed when he does go down the line that Jada Silva doesn't offer, and an ability to cross the ball, and I hate saying it, that physicality at the back that Jay certainly doesn't bring now. If Cam Pring, for whatever reason, can only last 
70 minutes in a game, but you get a good 70 minutes, you know, why not? What, what, why, why bring De Silva back for Cam Pring at, at the weekend? Why not let as Cam I, start the game? Well, as I said to you, I, that's what I think Pearson would do. It isn't what I'd do. I would play Cam Pring uh, for the very reasons you say. And I think what Nigel Pearson needs to get his head around is the tactical use of the five subs. They've got to be, it's a bit like in rugby where they call them finishers or impact players. Mm. Um, this is how you've got to use those five subs. Okay, somebody gets injured, that could throw your plans into a bit of a, uh, a little bit of disarray. Uh, but on the fact they don't, you can say, right, if, if you know, if you want to play your wing-backs high, and, and that's the idea when you play wing-backs. If you remember when we went up under Cots, we had Mark Little and Joe Bryan. Right? Yeah. They were further up the pitch a lot of the time than Aaron Wilbram. He was a centre-forward. Yeah. So you play them high up the pitch, but someone has to give them the ball. Now, that's either... The big long diagonal out from the back, or the, the midfield have got to play them in. Now yeah. you can only play them in from midfield if 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 you're dominating possession a little bit. Because otherwise, if if you're losing possession in midfield, the, the, the wing backs are going to spend half their life scurrying back towards their own goal. And by, mm. by nature of the fact you're talking wing back, not full back, they are not as good defenders. Now I think. Where Jay De Silva scores over Cam Pring is he's more reliable. Uh, he's got a better first touch, and positionally, he's a he's a better defender positionally. Where Cam Pring, you reckon? Win, you reckon when when you say oh, so, he's yeah. more reliable for those reasons that you've just said. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That that's how I would differentiate between the two players. Jay De Silva's got as good a first touch, and and retains the ball as as well as any player. We've got at the club, but as Sires just said here on the text, but he just can't cross a ball. Which, when you're playing wing backs well, and no somebody, wingers, somebody said on on the radio the other day, well, Jada Silva is much better going forward, and I would completely challenge that. Mm. He's not because, and you can tell that from his record, goals and assists. You look at you know when we signed Wilson, who's having a bit of a funny start with us, whether it was a bit of injury or whatever, but he is another one that's very good going forward. I don't think he's a great defender, which is why he got replaced with George Tanner last night. Probably that, and he'd, he'd, he'd uh, run his race. But yeah. I, I think if you're going to play with those guys, you're basically uh, putting players out there. You could Campering could quite easily play left wing in a 4-4-2. Easily. Yeah. Um, and, and so could um, so could Wilson could play on the right wing. Mark Seitz can play right wing. So they can yeah. cross the ball, and and I. We're like... talking about the shape. We're starting to talk about the shape of the side here because the thing is, what gets yeah. me right is that we've got a win, yeah, and it's a slightly different. Well, not slightly. Five team changes from the weekend. We've got yeah. a win, and we know for a fact that Chris Martin is going to start because he seems to be the manager's favourite. And when you have Chris Martin, as some people have said on the forum, that Chris Martin at this stage of his career is a better player to bring on to run somebody ragged for 20 minutes rather than play, you know, pretty much every game for 90 minutes. He was having a... But when when you have Chris Martin as a nailed-on selection, it's it doesn't allow for flexibility, in my opinion, 
in the shape of the side. And as we say, you pay your best, play your best player. So when Callas comes back, and that looks to be as far away as ever now, rather than on the verge of coming back. But when Callas is fit, when Semenyo's fit, they're both starters. And if you can't start a player like Alex Scott, who's your most prized asset, your most valuable player, right? Mm. When you say you can't start, but he should be in there, right? Then yeah. if those three are in there, I don't see how Chris Martin can get in that side in the starting eleven when those three are there. Well, if you if you want to play with a and nine, you play a four. I think you should play a four. Well, you you can give, um, you you can play. I mean, we've got a team. You could play whatever formation you want. We could play four four two. We could play, um, four five one. Uh, which becomes four three three when you're attacking. We've got loads of options, but the only other player we could play up there, and it's not his best role on his own, if you like, as a nine, is uh, Antoine Semenya, and he's not fit. So but, it, yeah. it's not so much the player. We we didn't have Chris Martin last night, and and Naki Wells got two assists. One of the assists he got was a header in the penalty area. Yeah, for a, for um, which for a for a guy, he's not bad in the air, but he's not very tall. No. Um, so uh, Chris Martin is taller. He, he's 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 got some. He's got more physicality than Tommy Conway. Tommy Conway affected the game last night, but you have to for, for, keep going back to the fact that it was. You know, a Coventry eleven in a Bristol City eleven. It wasn't the absolute first team. Yeah. And you know, then you say, well, how effective was Tommy Conway against Sunderland when he came on? And the answer is not very. I mean, he went on the field very long. Um, and I think the same thing. Just a quick one on Alex Scott. One thing he needs to 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 sort out is his discipline, because he's getting booked every time he plays. Did he get booked last night? Did he? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, he did, you, and he was only on for about fifteen minutes, wasn't he? Yeah, I didn't. Well, fair, didn't fair play that. to him. He went after he went after one of the biggest, hardest blokes on the field. So he's he's it, you know. Who's that? Fazdeen, McFazdeen, was it? No, uh, Waghorn. Um, oh Christ! Yeah, he, he smashed he smashed Waghorn. Now, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna run into it, run into a bloke, I mean, I I suppose he's um he's he's not gonna die wondering, Alex Scott, and he, he but and he likes a tackle, which is good. I, I'm all for that. But he just needs to rein it in a bit because he's gonna he's gonna find himself suspended and sent yeah. off, and, and that's that's not a good place to be. But and once again, you're looking at a lad with all this ability, and Pearson might have to say, "Well, look, we're going to lose the ten, play Andy up front with Antoine Semenya when he comes back, but because we need to play three in midfield." Or you look at it the other way and say, "Right, we're going to go like this. We're going to try and get a couple of goals up." And then we take up, we, we remove one of the forward players and we play a third midfielder to see the game out. Well, we alter, we alter the shape. Now, somebody said here on the thread earlier, I can't remember who it was now, um, that the reason why we're poor in the second half of games is that clubs suss us. And if we have a way of playing in the first half and they set themselves up differently in the second period and we don't respond accordingly which is a managerial issue yeah we don't respond because Sunderland yeah that was clearly evident at home against Sunderland wasn't it you know we we did play well in the opening uh, 
in the opening half, but the second half was a totally different story. And that Pritchard, he had the run that, of the midfield, didn't he? Well, that comes back to the fact that, A, we haven't got a defensive midfield player. We haven't got an enforcer, if you will. Somebody to say, see Pritchard, he's playing well, isn't he? I wonder yeah. how well you can jump. I wonder how well you can jump. See how well you can jump if you stand on his foot mm. or get close to him. And that's what we haven't got. So if you haven't got that, perhaps you bring it, you play an extra player and you play play a three narrow. Mm. Uh, but the, but isn't, the real... isn't, so what's Joe, Will, what's Joe Williams then? Because he's not well, Mr. Creative, well, is he? No, he's not. He's a box-to-box midfield player. He's what I call an up-and-downer. Don't get me wrong, Joe Williams has put, put a foot in. Uh, and I'm not saying he couldn't play in the position that Andy King played last night. Um, I just don't think that's his best position. Mm. So he's a bit more of a, he's what I call a Josh Brownhill, but without the goals. <coughs> right, yeah. yeah. He'll get up He'll get up and down, but you wouldn't look at Joe and say, right, well, he's going to be the shield for the back four. Um, so what what you need to do, it comes back to this use of impact players and finishers again. You know, you say to people like Cam Pring, Alex Scott perhaps even, go out there and, and, and run yourself into the ground for the first 70 minutes. Let's go and get two, three goals up. And and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get a bloke out the crowd to, to play in, uh, in central midfield or one of the young lads because mm. at that point, the pressure's off. But we are fragile. And and even it's it 3-0 up, as soon as Coventry got that goal, I thought, here we go. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said a moment ago. You know, and as I say, if if the, uh, what was it, the uh, fifth goal of the game had been Coventry's with 10 minutes to go, yeah, oh, mentally, yeah. You, you, you'd have thought, hello, you know, and then it would have been penalty shootout. And then we would have had the mental fortitude to do that. I mean, an interesting tie away at... Uh, Wickham, Gareth Ainsworth, Wickham uh, in a fortnight. I mean, we, we've we've actually got here. I mean, let's move on from the game because, uh, well, no, before we move on from the game, Casey Palmer played and uh, Zach Viner got a book for nailing him in the first minute, didn't he? Yeah, but Casey Palmer uh, didn't uh, didn't perform stunningly well against his former club, did he? But we've seen it so many times before. Well, he, uh, he we know that there is a footballer in there but it's a question if, if Mark Robbins can find it because no one else has been able to. No. And, and that's, that's the problem with Casey Palmer. And we've seen that for three years. And he, he goes into the book called Bad Sign-Ins, A Lot of Money Wasted on wages yeah. and the transfer fee. Hell of a lot of money. Yeah. So, well, yeah, four million quid's worth of money gone begging. Well, if you if you think about his his wages, if he was on anything like what people thought he was on, and he signed from Chelsea, so he, he wasn't going to be one of the low, lowest paid players, was he? So, um, you know, it, I mean, he was one of the ones that absolutely had to go. And Lansdowne, I know we're going to talk about the finances, but Lansdowne alluded to the fact that the wage bill was now down sub eighteen twenty million, mm. uh, which is a step in the right direction. But it's only a step in the right direction if we stay in the division. So, um, because it, it sounds like that money is being saved as opposed to reallocated uh, yeah. in terms of bringing players in. Well, we talk uh, about, let's say we've got to talk about Lansdowne and you noticed a sort of dis, a mismatch between what Steve was saying and what uh, 
Richard Gould alluded to vis-a-vis potential points deductions. Let's move on to that in a minute. What I started to say before I did that last bit of the game on uh, Zach and uh, Casey. And uh, fair play to Zach. You know, he's not he didn't do any ricks last night. Um, we've got five matches coming up in the space of 18 days, three of them at home, um, away to Wigan this Saturday, and then um, the uh, Blackpool away uh, in a fortnight. I mean, that's a big ask of the squad, isn't it, to be playing a game every three days in effect, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we've got the the Cardiff game on the Sunday, which gives us some extra rest from the Luton game and less rest to go to Blackpool away, um, which is on on a Saturday. Yeah, sorry, Saturday. And and then then the following Wednesday, we're we're at home to Huddersfield. yeah, I mean, it, look, all the games are going to be tough for us because we haven't started very well. Um, and it, no. so I I'm, I'm think this game on Saturday, I'm not saying it's a must win because it's too early in the season for that. And unless we forget, Nottingham Forest lost their first seven games last yeah. season. Well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to replicate what they did, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah but <laughs> without, I, I, without I, the managerial change. <laughs> yeah, well, well I, mean, I said, uh, you know, we, we'd like to do that. But, you know... I'd like to emulate Forest. I meant go up, not lose games. Yeah. But look, if we can, it's going to be difficult. Uh, we've got a small squad. We're already missing six players. We're only two games into the season. Um, people never count Nathan Baker, but he's still here. He's still on the payroll. Nigel said, don't expect to see Nathan this season. He's out of contract at the end of the year, but you've still got to class him as, as a an injured player because fitting on yeah. form, there's no doubt he'd be in the team. He'd um, be in the team. Unquestionably. Yeah. So um that's a player we lost. So when people say, well, you know, yeah. why do we need a, a centre back? Well we lost Baker that everybody forgets. We lost yeah. more. We lost Candy. Yeah. Um so that's three that have gone out. Um I still don't think Zach's best position I think Zach's okay is what I call a utility player, so he can play. Said that, said that loads of times last season. Good player yeah. to have on the bench, particularly when you got five subs, and he can play in three positions, can't he? Because he can play right yes, back, can. wing back, centre back, and he can play in a midfield role, which he wasn't great when he did play that role, but he was adequate, and that's where he's a good player to, to have around. His fitness levels as well. The only problem with Zach yeah. is his concentration level, really, isn't it? But getting back to this sequence of games, as you said, yeah. Ian, this coming up against Wigan, <laughs> I take a point now because just to get a point on the board against Wigan, and then you look at the three home games that are coming up against Luton, Cardiff, and Huddersfield. You know, I mean, if we could win two out of those three and draw one, then the start of the season, which was what an opening seven games, wasn't it, before the end of August, yeah. It starts mm. to look good, but if if we can if we can get something at Wigan, then it sets us up nicely, doesn't it, with the two home games to come against a well, a fickle Cardiff team and a, a Luton team that probably won't emulate what they did last year. Well, we we don't know that. I mean, Huddersfield have got off to a poor start as well, but then again, they well, played with Burnley. Us. Yeah, but they yeah. they played Burnley first game of the season as well, which is going to be a difficult game for a lot of clubs. Um, Although I think who has it got a point at Burnley on Saturday? Um, Somebody not very good was it Rotherham? Yeah, yeah. So if if you look at our first ten league games, 
our first 10 league games end with Norwich away. Mm. Um, looking at those games, I'd want us to have at least 12 points. Yeah. And at the moment, we've got nil point. So, so we've got to get we've got to get twelve from eight, is what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and and I mean tw- that's half the points, isn't it? Twelve from twenty four. Yeah. So that that is a minimum because then you you go into a, you know a tougher run of games. So right after Norwich, we're away to Burnley, then we've got two home games that I would class as potentially winnable: Queens Park Rangers in Coventry. Yeah, um, but that'd be an interesting game because there's no they won't rest eight players for that game. I'll get and, no. and then into Birmingham away, you've started much better um, than everybody thought they would with all the problems they've got. Then yeah. you've got Millwall at home, who've who did a, a, some good business in the su- in the summer. They haven't finished yet, but they started well. West Brom, Reading, who beat Cardiff, Swansea who haven't had a brilliant start and there's a bit of unrest over there about the manager. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, and, and, you know, you're going to know there's only three games in November and that's Sheffield. United. Well, that's right. That's a 16 game. That's a 16 game break. And we said, if we could yeah, have 24 then, points, 24 yeah. points in the first 16 games, which is a point and a half a game, everybody well, get, would be If happy. you get a point, yeah, point and a half a game, well, I'd, I'd be content. I wouldn't be happy because I want to get out of this division the right way upwards. Of course. But, no, after, after losing the first two and conceding five goals, yeah. you know, you somewhere you've got to stop the rot. And those, but I was just going to say, those three games in November, Sheffield United at home, Middlesbrough away and Watford at home. Now, Watford's yeah. front three is more or less Premier League quality. Yeah. So, we, you know, we need to have the defence and the defensive aspect of the midfield sorted out way before we play them. So, look, it, it, it's about... Perhaps changing our our shape sometimes to suit the opposition if they're a better team than we are. Um, well, and, I think and, it's also you yeah. said it there, Ian. It's changing the shape and Nigel being a little bit more open minded to, you know, resting Chris Martin occasionally, yeah, or not yeah. always starting him. And that's not a criticism of Chris Martin because if he was a young you know, running running round a lot, yeah, we might say something different, but he's 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 getting on now in football terms, yeah. And you know, he runs out of puff in most games. That would be my view. It's just in a yeah. personal opinion. But but there we go. Okay. Um all right, before we talk about the selling of the club, I mean transfer window, there's what, uh, how many days left on that now? What's the date today? The eleventh. There's twenty days, three three more weeks left on the transfer window. It yeah. would solve a lot of problems for City if somebody did come in for Alex Scott, wouldn't it? Because, you know, the talk of Bentley going, that's not going to impact on any major finances of the club because were he to go and the move to Bournemouth, if it was going to happen, surely it would have happened now. But it's only going to, yeah. Bentley, you're only going to get about three million quid for him. If Alex Scott comes, right, ignoring the loan back, yeah, because then that gives us money and we still keep the player, ignoring the loan back for a season. But if Alex Scott comes in, Alex Scott is sold in the next 14 days, it sorts out any financial issues. And if the money that's being talked about is actually achieved, it does give scope to bring in so-called defensive midfielder. But, um, I mean, Ian, just straightforward question. Do you think there's going to be anybody leaving the club for money in the next 21 days? Uh, if I was a if I was a betting man... Um... 
I'd be 80-20 against. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're talking about money, and I know yeah. Premier League clubs will pay 20 million for the right player, but you, you, you look at Alex Scott and you think, right, and I think he's one of those lads that would be a much better player and a better team, uh, yeah. i.e. a Premier League team. But you look at him and you think, well, is he, is he an absolute first choice in our team? And the answer to that is no. I don't think he is because I don't, I don't actually think, think he's a 10. Um, I, I think he's a central midfield player. Mm. Um, so you either bite the bullet and play him there next to somebody like Williams and say, right, let's give that a go. Uh, or you keep going with, but Pearson has is, is chosen Masengo to do that. Um, so Masengo, once again, same sort of thing as Bentley. If he leaves, it would, and I don't think he will, it will fund uh, a couple of loans. It would do that. Yeah. But it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't mean we could go out and, and you know, spend a couple of million on a, on, on a player. No. Uh, so but from what everyone said, and, you know, some of it is, I don't know, some of it is word salad, some of it is bluster. Um, yeah. I, I don't think, it, you know, I'm not confident that we'll go out and get some. I'd be delighted if we do, because I think we need three. Um, yeah. I'd be delighted. They've got to be better. Whoever they buy, whoever we buy, has got to be better than what we've got. We can't have well, just all is... club in the bag. It's got to be better. Well, uh, yeah, well, unless they're as good as Callas, in which case, yeah, we'll have him. Um, or if they're as good as uh, Vyman or Semenyo, we'll have them. So they've got to be a quality player. Now, I think we're more likely, if we get loans in particular, for them to be younger Premier League players. But, you know, if we, if we could get somebody yeah, like you're doing Tampa, a Niger there. You're doing a Niger there, Ian, with that little laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we could get... If we could get Tammy Abraham or somebody of that ilk uh, yeah. to come in, or or a Stephen Corker, um, then yeah, that that would re that would really okay. help. All right, let's move on. Talk to some other stuff. Mark Small, you've been very active on the text here. Thanks for picking up the fact that it was Luton that got a one-one draw at uh, at uh, Turf Moor at the weekend. Uh, and Mark also says, hope we can get players in before the window shuts. Yes, we do. Uh, the contract situation of some players is a concern. Well, all the players are out of contract in summer next year. It is a concern. If bids come in for Bentley, Callas, De Silva and Masengo, we would have to sell. Yeah, well, we, we, we probably would. Nobody's going to bid for Callas, though, because he's on the sick list. Um, De Silva, mm, I don't know. And Masengo, I think he's going to go in the summer for a, a small level of uh, compensation, I guess. But, um, OK. Um, at the weekend, we had... Uh, Steve Lansdowne talking about two things, really. Uh, well, two things that stuck in the mind. FFP, and, well, we haven't really got to worry about that, and then selling the club. And then Richard Gould speaking on the unofficial, official BC FC podcast. We all know who that is. Uh, saying, we might have a problem. I mean, how do you see those apparent conflicting views there, uh, Ian, from the chairman and the chief executive? Well, I, I think they need they need some explanation. Um, Steve said, I think his actual words were something along the lines of, I'm not too worried about yeah. um, FFP. Um, 
And then Richard Gould said he couldn't rule out uh, on the, the uh, Three Peeps podcast. Richard Gould said, um, I, um, you know, we can't rule it out. But what he said was with everything that's going on with UEFA, um, changing the rules, moving the goalposts, and the EFL, he wasn't absolutely sure where we'd be. And, and, and in fairness uh, to Richard Gould, I don't think anybody could be absolutely sure on where um, we'll be in six to nine months' time. When, when uh, I mean, our accounts are, are if based on last year, they're due out in January, and, and you have to give the Football League your accounts every year. You can send them into companies out a year late, um, yeah. and you can ask for extensions, but we, we have to give our accounts to them then, and, and then they could, that's the point we could, I think, get hit with a points deduction. Yeah, I mean, if that points deduction came, yeah, is that likely to be this season? So we maybe get to March and April and we're nestling in mid-table, but then we take a tumble, a bit like Reading did. Hopefully we're nestling in mid-table. Hopefully we're doing even better than that. Or is it something that would be applied to season 23-24? Well, I think, I think either it could be, and you don't know the amount. I don't think it'd be a, a Derby style twenty-one pointer. Could um, be a six, but it could be a six, like Reading got. Um, but the rolling three and, years. And the, stuff that, Sorry, the stuff that comes around it, where they they say, right, well, that's it, and you've got a transfer embargo. Uh, you can only sell players. You can't bring players in, etc., etc., etc. So, in going back to the point about the players that are out of contract, there isn't any need at the football club for a fire sale. So if somebody comes in and offers, makes a silly offer for Calas, De Silva, whatever, we can say no. But if you do that, you you take the chance of the player walking uh, yeah. in the summer, which I think nearly all of them will, uh, yeah. because they will definitely, well, most of them, not all of them, but they'll they'll be able to earn more money in terms of a signing on fee and wages somewhere else. And that's and right. Remember, we're another. We're then another year on from the pandemic and there will be some level of financial recovery. It won't be back to, if you, if you want to call it the good old days, uh, no. but there will be a level of um, fi financial um, improvement. Uh, but I think on the sale of the club, what no one seems to ever ask uh, is, okay, uh, would you be able to purely sell City, and what would that look like? And the second question is, and I, I think the answer to that is yes, because you can divest any company from any group. It, it, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, but, but, and then, okay, if you sold City alone, forget the rest of Bristol Sport, what happens to the ground? And the, you know, does this person... Well, part of the sales, surely, Ian, because we talked about this on the the podcast when it was first mooted that Lansdowne wanted to consider. Sorry, wanted Lansdowne was considering selling the club, and we said back back in as early as January, if not before, that you know you could hive it off, and part of the sale agreement would be that you are committed to playing at Ashton Gate, which keeps the Bristol Sport thing going. You're committed to playing at Ashton Gate. For the next 25 years. In fact, you could say you can lease the stadium 
on match day. So everything well, associated is, with the match day experience, yeah, yeah goes to is, is, the football. This is and all the I television do. revenue goes there, yeah? yeah? And then if you get relegated, well, I'm only going to charge you a million pound a year in rent. In the championship, I'm going to charge you two and a half million pound a year in rent. And if you get to the Premier League, I'm going to charge you 15 million a year in rent, right? And that's for the next 25 years, yeah? But then, that, then you maybe, have to find somebody that wants, that somebody is a gambler. Absolutely. Because as you said to me, we were talking about this yesterday, you said, who's going to chuck in money and what's it secured against? But it's a vanity project. Whoever buys Bristol City, they're never going to get, as again, Lansdowne said, well, he considered selling it lock, stock and barrel. It is the whole Bristol sport thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. Lock, stock and barrel means the whole Bristol sport. But I do think, yeah, that, and okay, people have said on forums in the last few days that you get into messy situations like Coventry have got, you know, I just read a clip today. Why are Wasps upset about Coventry feel about the pitch? Well, they have a right to be upset. Anyway, you get the messy things like Coventry, and I think it happened at Portsmouth, where the ground has become divorced from the football club. But I don't think anybody, and Lansdowne said, you know, we're not talking about somebody putting in a million quid like probably there's 20 businessmen in Bristol that could put in a million quid and get a seat on the board. That's what used to happen, yeah? But now he said tens of millions, right? Well, yeah. you put in, I think, if somebody's going to put in 40, 50 million to Bristol City, right, they're going to want complete control of Bristol City. And the only way you can have complete control of Bristol City is if you enter into some sort of, formal agreement that the ground is still cooler. That's not, you know, the structure of the, the club is a lot more complex than it was even 15 years ago. But mm -hmm. somebody putting in significant amounts of money, they're not going to accept Steve Lansdowne having the final say on how we do things, because that's what he does now. And it was, in, you know, it was noticeable by his absence. He makes no, he said, I'm 70 this month. You make no reference to his son in terms of maintaining the legacy. You know, maybe John's, well, John has got Steve, no interest. Well, Steve's already said that, that John doesn't see his long-term future being at Bristol City. There you uh, go. He said that in the last, I think it was the last time that, that he went on three peeps and, and set a load of hairs running, as he's done again. So it, it would be, I mean, someone coming in, whenever someone's coming and just bought the football club, not bought the ground, and it happened a lot at Crystal Palace. Uh, yeah, Ron Nodes and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. and the same thing happened years ago at Brentford. It's always ended in tears. That was Ron Nodes again, wasn't it? <laughs> it was Ron Nodes again. I mean, Mark so, Small has said on here, unless a Sheikh Mansour clone buys the whole lot, including the land. Now, it could be that Sheikh Mansour has got some person in his country that looks at what he's done at Man City, right? And we're never, we're never going to replicate that. But if you look at... The whole thing, including the land, you know, with the sporting village where the basketball arena is going to be. Yeah. How would the fan base feel about a Sheikh Mansour type buying the whole lot? But then for every Sheikh Mansour, there's at least a dozen examples, and I'm not going to attempt to name them, of so-called, you know, miracle overseas investors that have left the club in a poorer state than they started. I mean, I have to say... Yeah, I know they're down in the same division as us, but old Vincent Tan over in Cardiff, at least under his guidance, they've had two spells in the Premiership in the time we've been 
messing around in uh, two spells in this division over the last 12 years, haven't they? Yeah. and, and Even, even Vincent Towns. So he's not that bad, is he? Lots of clubs have been up to the Premier League and meandered past us that are comparable clubs, I would say, likes of Burnley, Swansea, Watford. Um, and you, 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 Bournemouth especially, you, and you can criticise their owners all day long. You know, a lot of people <clears throat> criticise the, <coughs> excuse me, the Pozzos and their hiring fire um, way at Watford, but it's worked. You know, they've yeah. had they had four managers in a year. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do, do, would I like to see that at City? No, not really. But I wouldn't have liked to see us in the Premier League in my life. Of course. Now, interestingly, and, and, Mills has said on here, whoever it is, I hope they just have the same passion for us as Steve. Uh, Mills, I think anybody that puts 50 million quid in, yeah, because Steve isn't going to sell it for a song. Anybody that puts 50 million quid in, a proper sum of money, yeah, you know, he, he is going to have a passion for it or they're going to have a passion. Because if we can replicate in a small way what Sheikh Mansour has done uh, at Man City, because the football club up there has become part of the community, Ian, hasn't it? You know, they've done a lot in the community. I think yeah, I'm they, right in saying that. They've so. developed, I think it's something like 800 homes in East Manchester. Um, and that was so, absolute shit all that part of Manchester. Well, that's, well, it was, but that's what Steve Lansdowne, if you remember, with this sporting quarter wants to build homes and houses. The big problem you've got in Bristol is the council. They're the most anti-sport council. They're anti-sport, anti-car council. Well, anti-everything. Yeah. Yeah. So... And, yeah, uh, and yeah, there they were, sorry to sidetrack there, they were talking about they were talking about uh, trying to host a Eurovision Song Contest in the arena, right, which was quite a brave thing. Although I read somewhere that there's no arena big enough and available next summer at the moment to do the Eurovision Song Contest. So whether, you know, they're going to base their credentials on Queen doing their uh, rehearsals there and entertaining a crowd of 100 or so uh, of the great and the good, probably including our illustrious Lord Mayor. I don't see it coming to Bristol, but uh, there we go. Anyway, that's by the by. Yeah, you're right about a council. Yeah, yeah, but the, club, disgrace. the club itself, if, if you look at it, if you look at the, the physical infrastructure, so I'm talking about the stadium and the two training grounds, yeah. that's got to be worth £150 million. Um, and, and I think if you if you throw in the land, you're up over two hundred million. That's just for that. Now I think what, what land are we talking about? The, the, because you say the, the stadium, well, the training ground. Build, well, hang on, and I'll tell you um, right. where he's going to build the basketball uh, stadium and and develop this sporting quarter. Mm. So, because a football stadium's only only or a sports stadium, I'll call it, is only worth what it's worth to sports teams. So you'd have to you'd have to value the land if the stadium wasn't there. Um, so you you've got to find somebody with an awful lot of money who who, who is what I, I call it a gambler because if you're not buying it's it's not really a gamble to buy the infrastructure because that will always have a value. Um, and take that over and say, well, look, I'm going to keep going with the planning for the sporting quarter and we're going to do all the development. Um, but I'm also, I'll take over Bristol City. So you then come on to Bristol City and you say, well, okay, what, what's this club about? Well, what you've got to remember, it, it loses money every year. Last time out, it lost 38.4 million. 
uh, we've only made money one year in about the last 15, from what I can remember, correct me if I'm wrong, where we made 11 million quid when we sold all yeah. our best players. So, right, okay, then where are they in the league? Well, they finished uh, 17th last season. They'd have finished 18th, but the team had a points deduction, and so we finished 18th. Well, where are we at the moment? Where, well, there's only two games gone, but we're in the bottom two. Right, okay. Yeah. Now, the only way you make money out of a football team is either build it very slowly and keep it quite small. So I'm talking about Bournemouth or by getting it in the Premier League. And now you get it in the Premier League and you you, you get a, a good manager, an Eddie Howe, somebody like that, and they just keep you in that Premier League for four or five seasons. And we shouldn't knock the job that Sean Dyche uh, did it Burnley. I know they're down now, but he kept them in there. Yes, he did. And then the investment will come flooding in because you then say to him, what am I buying? Well, oh, what's the income of Bristol City? And you could give them the income of the commercial or the rest of it. Well, what's the TV money and solidarity payment? We get about 9 million. All right, what do we get in the Prem? 100 million. Yeah. What, is that so it's a pot of gold. It's a pot of gold at the end of the well, rainbow. Does that include, isn't it? Then you say, was that include all the commercial? No, 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 no. You get all your commercial on top of that, all your yeah. ticket sales. Yeah. We can put the price of tickets up. We can do this. We can do that. We'll sell the ground out, which we would, right? And and then all of a sudden, you're in a whole new world. And this is obviously what Steve Steve would like to do. But you can't knock the bloke for the money he's pumped in. You can criticise oh. a lot of the things like where where we've where we've gone, um, the managerial appointments, um, and the man, you know the managerial appointments, and the CEOs. They're the people that have done the recruitment and they're the people that have put us where we are, good or bad, right? Because nobody yeah. would be complaining about Mark Ashton if Adam Webster, Lloyd Kelly or Josh Brownhill move on and we get a lump of money. No. Um, so no, I mean, be- do you think, Ian, here's, here's, here's one. I was chatting to somebody about this separately. Mark Ashton, I mean, he's vilified in uh, just about every respect at City. Do you wonder whether those American, the Arizona State Pension Fund that is now pumping the money into Ipswich, do you think maybe he approached Steve Lansdowne with a deal from those Americans that for whatever reason, Lansdowne said, nah, didn't feel right. And that some people talk about, it's like the owner of a business, you've seen it and you've come across businesses like this, where the owner says, "Yeah, no, I want to, I want to, I want to leave. Now I've, I've had enough. I've done my fill. Well, here we go. Then here's an offer. No, no, I don't want to leave. Do you think it's feasible that you know Ashton, you know, because when we went on that preseason trip to America about three years ago, people were saying he was inveigling himself around the sports entrepreneurs on that trip. Do you think there's any remote possibility that maybe the investment was going into Ipswich and hardly going well because they lost to Colchester this week? But do you think it might have been that he?" mooted the idea that they might want to invest in Bristol City instead. I think Ipswich would have been a much, much, much cheaper purchase because the guy there really did want to get out. And, and at the time, yeah. the club was being run on a shoestring. You know, for example, yeah. the, the their equivalent to Dave Rennie was a guy who came down from Scotland two days a week uh, and then flew back. Right. That, that's what they had. So... Um, and Portman Road needs needs work doing to it, apparently. Oh, God, yeah. No, it's not had so, anything done on it for 
for, for years, absolute years. Well, it's I, not I think if someone came along, came along to Steve and said, right, Steve, I'll take the lot off your hands, all the Bristol sport, here's 250 million quid. Now, what you've got to remember is it's not just about buying the club. Now, the club owes Steve, well, he's just forgiven another 15, 16 million pounds worth of, yeah. of debt. Uh, so let's say the the club owes him eighty million, right? What no, about notionally, that? notionally, no. I I think you hit the net. If I was going to ask you for a number of how much it would, and if somebody came along and gave him two hundred and fifty million quid, he'd have got his costs back of the infrastructure and pretty much funded most of the losses since he's been here, and that is the price of buying Bristol City. So the true price of buying Bristol City is probably closer to. I'll say north of 300 million because that's two and a half, 250 million to buy at a Lansdowne's and then 50 million to do a Bournemouth or a Wolves and go out and transform the playing side by splashing the cash. Because once you've paid that 250 million, Ian, for, for the for lock, stock and barrel, right? Mm-hmm. The wage mm-hmm. bill's down, the rugby club is not loss making, you know, they're going to have the basketball thing there. You've just got to run the football club so that it's like a, a, a Luton or a, or a Millwall where, you know, it's costs and income are broadly in line. And then you say, right, our transfer kitty is 40 million quid, right? Get yourself out of the division with 40 million quid. Well, you, that's you, your three, is there a, is there a wealthy American Chinese person, they're less less reliable, I guess, or Sheikh Mansour too, that would chuck three hundred million in it. So that no debt, you take in, you take in the football club, no debt. Lansdowne, well, if, he's got everything if, back, and he's on, created something. But if Steve Land, if Steve Lansdowne um, forgave the debt um, and sold it, he could sell the club for a pound. On the basis that some would, someone would take on the ongoing debts, but he'd want all the infrastructure and all the land paid for. So you're back into no, but that's it. 200, 200 odd million. Yeah, you're back back north of two hundred million. If yeah. if he forgave the debt, if he said, "Well, no, hang on, for anything else, I want my eighty million quid back," because don't forget the the land's got a value completely separate from that, and the stadium's yeah. got a value. So we've got. Let's say we've got 150 million pounds worth of infrastructure, let's just say. And you've got, and he's, he's owed 80 million. Well, there you are. There's 230 million now. There you go. Well, that's the number that you just said, Ian. Infrastructure yeah. and it's, losses, 230 what, million. What Richard yeah. Gould said about the, the financial, uh, he said that, it won't be for another six to nine months before they get more clarity over the process as yeah. discussions continue amongst UEFA and the Premier League over redistribution of yeah. cash into the football league. Well, which is another... Ian, just quick, because I want to wrap up in a second because we've gone on a bit longer than I'd intended. That £38.4 million, in a three-year cycle, this year, year-ending May 22, that the accounts are done up to, we lose the, the year of the profit what was the first lot? What was the loss prior to the 38.4 million? Because it didn't go profit to 38.4 million. There's another number in there. What was the loss there? 10 million. 10, that's what I thought. Okay. And then this year, with the best will in the world, May 2022 accounts, 
the losses are going to be 22 million yeah as opposed to 30 i'm just speculating i'm just plucking a number i'm just plucking a number i don't i think you might be looking at another 10 or 12 would be my guess which takes us over financial fair play because well, it's 38 forget. and 22 is 60 million over three years you know it's, it's, yeah, it's almost it's, identical to reading that's and what they, they had like. six and they had six six, they points. Had six points all right but if you wait for change the rules because one of the things they're talking about is that you can go further into debt providing you're you're it's funded by an injection from the owner now whether if they accept debt to equity swaps, which is what Steve just done, which is what so he's done, yeah, he's done a debt for equity swap. And, and to people who aren't financially savvy or used to profit and loss accounts or whatever, basically, the club he was owed fifteen point three million by the club, and he forgave that and turned it into even more shares. Now. He's already the majority shareholder, owner, whatever. So it's, it's semantics, really. Well, he's, divide, he's, dilute, he's diluting his own controlling interest, isn't he? Because you're issuing more shares, but you issue into yourself. So he's yeah, just, so he, as you he's say, not, he's, written he's, off the, he's written off the debt. He's gifted the club. Yes, and he's done that. that's the way so you've got to look at it. If UEFA would accept that, then the, they, they claim clubs can permit losses over a three-year period from 24.98 million to 49.96 million. Yeah. If, okay. if the owner, um, in, well, what they say here is cash injections. Now, it, if UEFA are prepared to accept debt for equity as cash, then that may just uh, drag us out of it. Well, but, and it's interesting because it is, they should really do that because. You know, nobody's being, you know, nobody's being left unpaid. It's not like we're running up bills like Bristol City pre nineteen eighty two did, where all the creditors there had to take what was it, ten p in the pound. You know, right. everybody, everybody who supplies Bristol City with services that cost money, they've all been paid. So it's Steve's benevolence. Well, it's important. That, it's all, it's important for fans to remember that that fifteen point three million isn't cash. In the sense that it's available for transfers, no, because a lot of people no, it's said paying off well, losses. It's funding losses. Yeah, it's funding Lans- losses. Lansdowne stuck another fifteen million in. No, he hasn't. So it's important because that money. Some people think, "What well, we go out and buy a striker now for five million quid?" No, no we no, can't. No, no, it doesn't so, work like that. Yeah, when they're they're looking at it, they've got this thing called a new deal for football. Uh, which cuts back on parachute payments and um, the 44 million uh, current year one parachute payment will be greatly reduced. Now, what greatly reduced means, I don't know, but in my book, it it means a lot more than cut in half. You know, you're talking about you might get get 20%, but the rest of the money gets spread across the league. So we don't know exactly how that is. So what Richard Gould has said is is eminently sensible um he said well you know can you can you say categorically we won't get a point deduction no and the reason is no is because we don't know what the rules are now i think it would be fair to say that under the current rules it's very likely we get a points deduction which is why he said 
at this stage, I can't rule it out. No, no. Uh, which you can't because, right. as I keep repeating, you don't know what the rules are going to be. So, no. but you know, coming back to selling the club, I would say, I don't know. Once again, I prob no, I'd probably be more. I would probably be ninety ten that we won't a we won't sell it and b we won't be able to tr attract that much investment because he said he, he initially said that he wasn't looking to sell on the first three peeps podcast he said we're looking for external investment yeah then he he went a little bit further in the interview with jeff twentyman on radio bristol when yeah. he said we'd be prepared to say sell the whole lot now when we're looking for investment we don't want somebody with a million pound you know it's got to be tens of millions yeah to come in now if i'm putting 20 or 30 million into bristol city what do i get well that's What's it and that's the thing that's the thing Ian. you're not going to get somebody no, you control have no control it's a vanity project you know if yeah. you won if if you were a bristol city fan and you won that 140 million on the lottery last week yeah and you chucked yeah. in 40 million quid of it right you, 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 you're like burning all those notes because you're not going to get anything. It's whoever invests, it has to be transformative. And I think what I'm going to draw from the conversation we just had is that it's got to be lock, stock and barrel north of 200 million. Yeah. Or somehow hive the football club out so that it's a debt free vehicle that plays at Ashton Gate as part of a sale agreement and lands down, gets some reward back. But the person, is taking on a vehicle like a franchise. It's really like having Bristol City, owning the franchise, Bristol City, and playing at Ashton Gate and gambling. It's a gamble, right, on player transfer dealing and everything like that and continuing to develop the academy, which would be playing at the, in inverted commas, rented HPC, etc., etc. It's an interesting time. And, you know, and again, you know, them 13,500 season ticket holders this year. I've got to be very interested to see what that number is next year, assuming we're still in this division, because, you know, this cost of living crisis, notably the fuel and what have you, uh, I don't think people realise quite how bad it's how, how bad it's going to be. And something like a season ticket is a discretionary spend item, isn't it, Ian? Yeah. Well, it's going to. I, I wrote that's going to be the next thing to impact on football, isn't it? Because people will yeah. drop their Sky subscription. Yeah, people will drop their season ticket. Yeah, people and, won't um, go to the away matches. No, and Netflix and things like that. So you look at areas of, of what do I need and and uh, energy isn't a discretionary spend. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought it would hit last season. It didn't hit as bad. But when you think that, you know, from going by what... Um, is it uh, well martin lewis was saying it yesterday and a, and a very well respected organ is predicted that uh fuel bills will be 4200 a household now yeah. if you look at this time last year uh i was paying 100 pounds a month or 1200 a year so that would be a four four times fourfold increase so a 400% increase now, a lot of people, well, already a quarter of the households in this country 
are in fuel debt. Poverty. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's not fuel poverty. They're, no, they're, debt, they're in, debt. in arrears yeah. in debt to energy companies. Now, when you think it's the summer, so if you um, if, if you're going to be in credit on your direct debit, <laughs> the time you're going to be in credit is now. You ain't going to be in yeah. credit in January. No, you're right, Ian. I, I'm case in point. You know, I've sat there with five, six hundred quid in credit on my account. Now that's partly due to the fact that I changed supplier and I had money coming back on them. I got six hundred quid in credit. You know, and I'm being very and I, my my standing orders two hundred and thirty five pound a month at the moment. I think that took in the little increase. In, uh, in in April that took place. But no, it's phenomenal. And again, we don't want to turn this into an episode of the money program. So uh, well, look, Ian, it's been great. It's, been... it's discretionary spending. The other side of that, though, is in- inflation's hot. Interest rates are going up. So if anybody was going to, God forbid, do a Glazer-style buyout, where you go to um, a lot of the banks and say, uh, right, give me this money. I'm going to buy this club and I'm going to get in the Premier League um, and do it that way. Then it, it's the money's going to cost them a lot more. Yeah. And we're yeah. teetering on the on the brink of a recession and it's going to happen. Um, so that's another reason why there may not be so many people around. And I don't think there's many anyway with an Being appetite. Being a path to his door to buy the club. Okay. Yeah. Um, look, we've had a good we've had a good chat. I just want to say, Ian, I couldn't give. I'm going to swear here. I don't. I don't. I rarely swear on the podcast. I couldn't give a shit what people think about you and your comments on this podcast, and that we want the club to lose. We don't. We're City fans. So Graham C, Silvo Dante, and Billy Wedlock describing Ian on the podcast uh, on the forum as that cock, totally uncalled for. Grow up. You're invited on here to contribute at any time you want to be, right? And as I say, Ian and my view, we're pragmatists. We're not happy clappers. We do get people who come on and join the podcast that give a slightly more balanced view. But those of you, there was a little thread going last night and, you know, it's pathetic. So just grow up, yeah? And there's another person who used the same term as well, but I'm not going to mention his name, uh, but, um, you know, uncalled for and 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 ian ian can take it but all of you are welcome to come on this podcast you can dm me on on twitter or you can dm me on the forum you're welcome to come on and express your views but we always want the best for bristol city we might be cynical old bastards at the end of the day right and we'll tell it as it is we don't get no club sponsor sponsoring us so we can say what we like how we like when we like Etc. Etc. So at that point, Ian, thank I'm you for your contribution. Look forward to uh, speaking to you on um, Saturday for the uh, for the. What if I've been unlucky? Really, I ain't got a thing. There's a time I always feel happy, as happy as a king. When the red red robin comes bob bob bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts throbbing his old. Sweet song, oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead, get up, get up, get out of bed, cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red, live, love, laugh and be happy, what if I've been blue, now I'm walking through fields of flowers, rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours, I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song.
when Red Robin's out bob-bob-bobbing along. Red Robin comes bob bob bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up. The sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if vibe and blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When the red, red robin starts bob-bob-bobbing along.